Dope Nostalgia Podcast. I'm Naomi. Thank you for being here. I hope you guys are staying positive out there in your quarantine, um, finding productive things to do. It's beautiful outside finally here in Western Canada. Vancouver is always beautiful in case you didn't know. It's always nice. Always nice and very, very rarely does it snow or get cold there. But here, where I'm from in Edmonton, it gets pretty nasty in the winter. So it is amazing outside now, finally. Gives us a reason to go out into the yard and hang out and not get too close to others, right? You got to make sure you abide by that. Social distancing is very important right now. Um, I know there's been a few people that I've heard who haven't been doing that so well. And I know it's a tough time because it's hard to give up your your freedom to do stuff. But you know what? We have to do this to fight this virus. So guys, stay at home. It won't, the, the, the more of you do it, we won't do it as long. It's that simple. I had a really cool experience. Um, I was on Periscope, the app Periscope that's owned by Twitter that used to be popular about four or five years ago for a short time. Um, where you can watch people's live videos that they stream strangers all around the world. And I saw a pop-up that said, hey, MC Hammer has gone live. And you guys, if you've been listening to the show, you know how much I want to hear uh, MC Hammer. Man, oh man, man, I want him on the show so bad. So we popped up and uh, I saw him in front of the camera for a couple seconds he goes behind the camera and he's just so he can read his phone and he's typing and reading comments because there's only about 25 people in the stream since it just started. I asked him if he would come on my podcast and his response was, LOL, no podcast for me. <laughs> hey, I tried. And the thing was, is he was nice about it. I wished him a happy Easter and all that. And, and he was like, same kind of thing. Really nice, really nice guy. But Oh, I don't think he wants to come on the show, which is disappointing. But hey, I also got to tell him he was my very first concert, and that was fun. That was good. Good old MC Hammer. He has a nice backyard. Nice, like, it looked like a jacuzzi or something back there. It looked good. I expect only the best for, for the Hammer Man. Our show today is about a Calgary-based acapella group that were really big around the mid-90s here in Canada. Got lots of time on much music, lots of radio airplay as well. They were called the Earth Tones, and uh, I'm going to tell you a bit more about them. We got to talk to Earth Tones member Scott Henderson, and I'll be sharing an interview with you shortly. Wikipedia Moments! Well, we don't got a Wikipedia moment for you. We got a straight up artist bio moment for you for these guys. Went straight to their Facebook page and found out this information. Before the term boy band had even been coined, the tones existed. Earth tones, that is. This was prior to the uber commercial ooh baby baby groups of the late 90s. Groups that were marketed solely towards prepubescent girls. Critically acclaimed for their songwriting, the Earth Tones were an independent, self-formed vocal group in the tradition of previous soul and doo-wop groups, possessing a strong focus on excellent songs, harmonies, and showmanship. It's unfortunate that because of gimmicky marketing, the genre of vocal R&B groups as a whole is now considered cheesy. Now, okay, off record, I love my cheese. I love my boy bands. And I think they're very, 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 very talented. I really love NSYNC Backstreet Boys. New Kids on the Block. Love it. So this is just coming straight from the bio, folks. (laughs) 
Their peak thus far was from 1994 to 1998, with members Scott Henderson, Tim Mason, Dana Crawford, Chris Lascano, and Josiah. Their earlier accomplishments included five top 20 hits, two Juno nominations, and they toured to almost every square inch of North America and several overseas tours in Europe and Asia. Now, the band hasn't ended. They've gotten back together with some of the original lineup and a few new additions as well. Longtime members Scott, Dana, Josiah, and Chris are still there, and they've added beatbox master Peter Pott in 2010 and YouTube singer-producer Adam Stanton in 2011. In April 2010, the Earth Tones were asked to perform at a charity event in Calgary's Jack Singer Concert Hall. It would be their first show back in several years. And at a rehearsal, the reconnected group filmed a newly arranged Michael Jackson medley and put it up on YouTube. You can find all kinds of good stuff on those guys on YouTube if you're looking for that, some of that throwback material. Also, with our interview with Scott, he's got some many exciting things to tell me, especially excited to hear about the time they spent recording at Prince's Paisley Park Studios. Here he is, guys. Welcome, Scott Henderson. Okay. Now, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the Queen tour um, because uh, I know of a singer who was on that tour, and his name's Kyle from Vancouver. Oh, um, there was... But I don't remember no. his last name, but I remember his band. Uh, I imagine you're talking Kyle Greninger. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember I met him years ago at Boonstock. It's the big music festival we used to have here okay. um, outside of Edmonton. And um, his band was playing Incura, and it was like kind of a yeah. rock metal band. And I remember how fantastic he was. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah he was great. He did, He played the villain in, uh, in uh, We Will Rock You. So, yeah, he was outstanding, super consistent. He didn't miss a single, single show in, in all 82 shows. He stayed, stayed healthy the whole time. It was great. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he's got a good work ethic too, from what I remember. Very, very, very professional. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for taking time to come and talk to me for the podcast today. Um, we're still a newer podcast, but we're about 10 episodes deep now. And the whole focus is um, some of the stuff that happened in the 90s, um, people's memories of it, and what they're doing now. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. So, well, the 90s so I, were I, I know that um, I remember when the Earth Tones came out. Um, I'm a singer songwriter myself. The same year, you guys got many nominations. I think it was 1994 for the Alberta Recording Industry Awards. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a nomination that year too, but I was okay. only 14 at the time. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that's how that's I came to know about you guys. Nomination at 14 already. Yeah. I can't. Man, I think of the songs I wrote at 14. They're terrible. <laughs> oh, the song the song was pretty bad. I won't lie. <laughs> but, oh, but wow. uh, well, compared to what, you know, when you grow up and what you're able to write, considering yeah. your subject your subject matter isn't that great when you're in, a, in your teens, right? <laughs> you don't have much to work with yet. Um, but anyways, yeah. Um, you guys got, I think it was like at least six nominations for the Alberta Recording Industry Awards that year. Yeah, that was then, kind of the start of our like start of our our run. I mean, we had been existing for a, a while before that. I mean, like every every act that gets gets a little bit of uh, uh, a run at the big time, we uh, 
we had 10 years ahead of that, like trying to like break into things and learning and making mistakes. And, and so, yeah, 94 was kind of like our first big year. That's when everything started going big on radio across Canada. And tell me a little bit about how that, how you got your first hit, like what was the process to get there? Well, we had, yeah, we've been writing for a few years and we had a whole bunch of members go through the band um, from like 84 to 93. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 93, we kind of found the right combination of guys. It just really, really clicked. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was literally weeks later we, had, we got offered a record deal. I'm surprised tra- when you say for so I'm surprised, long. For, I'm surprised when you say 84 like uh, it, it was that far back cuz you guys are very young. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, we um yeah, I started when I was 14 uh with uh, with a group that was kind of the predecessor to the Earth Tones. Um and we yeah, we worked really hard for years. Like, I, but by the time I finished high school, I was gigging every weekend, and um, and then by '92, we we'd already been to Hong Kong and New York, and and then we made some more changes in '92, '93, and then it and then it really just seemed like the right combination of guys. It was it was just kind of uh, just the chemistry was really really good and. And uh, we went to um, New Music West in Vancouver, mm-hmm. which was kind of the predecessor to Breakout West now, yeah. uh, that music festival in Vancouver. And we showcased, and uh, it was us and the Real Statics. Um, and we were offered a, a record deal. And it was that that fast. It was like three weeks after we had uh, the formation of, of myself, Tim, um, Chris, Josiah, and Dana, that, uh, that all kind of clicked and we got offered that, that record deal. And then we, we actually recorded that first record in Edmonton. And um, later in 94, it was released and we got our, our first hit on radio. Yeah, I, I know that you guys spent some time here in Edmonton. Um, I think one of your music videos was shot here as well. Uh, yeah, Counting Stars. Yeah, that's <laughs> the song of yours that sticks in my mind. That when oh, I yeah. thought about Earth Tones, that was the one. Yeah, that was. I, and I listened to some of the other stuff to, uh, yesterday as well, just to reminisce a bit <laughs> and put that back in my uh, playlist. You know. Yeah. But. Um, so where in Edmonton were you recording? Um, it was a recording studio called Homestead. Um, oh, yeah. Recording studio. I believe uh, they're still around. Are they? Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, yeah, it was uh, the, the the guy that produced us uh, was Barry Allen. And Barry Allen had like a, uh, I mean, it wasn't called a boy band in the 50s. But yeah, he had a, he had a, a vocal group. I mean, actually, the term boy band didn't even exist when we were around. It was only like well after we broke up, um, or not well after, but a little bit after we broke up that the, the term boy band existed. Um, kind of got, once again, I got into the uh, Backstreet era. Exactly. Yeah. 
So yeah. it was more like a vocal vocal harmony group, right? You guys Our, did a lot of acapella and such? Yeah, we we started off purely acapella and then uh, I play I play uh, keyboards and and um a couple of guys played guitar and so we started accompanying ourselves and then in that era there was a lot of you know this kind of where beat making was starting and you know hip-hop nice. was strong then too so we we were performing to, to tracks and then by the end of our run we had a we had a live band that toured with us and when you were um touring across Canada you got to tour in the states a bit too or just mostly across Canada actually mostly the US we spent uh, spent uh, most of our time touring the US nice. um, which I think was was uh, I mean that was it was great to do it but I think I think what I think it held us back a little bit we didn't have a real strong um, face band name, song, hit, recognition. Because um, we spent most of our time uh, between 94 and 98 in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And it was something I actually argued back back in the day. Like, um, we were making decent money touring the U.S., but it was all our hits were in Canada. And yeah. my, my point was that if, like, a lot of people knew the songs, but people didn't really recognize the name of the band or our faces. And if we connected those dots, we probably would have generated a lot more uh, record sales. And that record sales would have, in fact, then probably generated interest from labels in the U.S. But the U.S. is just so big and the population is so big. And we were really, we were touring the college university circuit there. So we had endless amounts of work, which Mm -hmm. was great. It was fun playing every night and doing shows. We loved that, but it, as a as a strategy, it didn't you know it didn't really tip over into the to the big time. I always say we we hit the medium time, and I think <laughs> part of it you didn't really connect the dots. And we went gold uh, in Canada, but I think we could have sold a lot more records if we really really connected that all together. But oh well, that's the way it goes. Hey, you know what? <laughs> That's the decision you make at the time because it seems like the best way to go, right? I mean, totally. <laughs> I, I think a lot of the Canadian musicians at the time were strategizing how to get to the U.S. market more so than anything. Even That's though, true. even though we had like our own homegrown system with CanCon content, where you know we they'd support Canadian music on radio here. So I mean, that's very helpful too, right? Yeah, but it, you think about the bands like. Um, that generated a lot of record sales and ended up getting that U.S. success, like Bare Naked Ladies, Moxie Fruvas. They like they really were great at sort of connecting the dots. Everybody knew who they were. Everybody knew their name. Everybody knew the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody knew what they looked like, and that just kind of generated a lot of record sales. And then U.S. labels came knocking. So yeah. Um, when you got signed to, who did you get signed to? It was Passion, uh, BMG. Uh, yeah. Great. They did, they put you on tour, like, did you get signed first or did you do the U S tour for first? Sorry. I should get the timeline, right? (laughs) 
both kind of happened at the same time and they both happened uh, differently. We had a manager um, who had connected us with a agency out of Minneapolis, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Proton Productions. And so they started booking all our shows in the U.S. And then the record deal was separate. Um, oh, okay. uh, they, they gave us a little bit of tour support money, but, but uh, for the most part, um, the, the record and radio uh, side of things happened with, uh, with Passion BMG. And then the live touring happened with uh, um, Proton. And then later we signed to Feldman and Associates, which is still a big agency here in Canada. That's and then a huge they, agency, yeah. Yeah, they got us some of the bigger bigger shows in Canada that we did. Did you do any, like, he- what was your biggest headlining gig that you remember at that time? Oh, biggest headlining gig. Um, probably just, like, we didn't really do any big, big headlining gigs. We had... Um, you know, we had a maybe a draw of a couple thousand in Alberta, maybe a thousand in Toronto. So we never played any like um, we we did get to play a few stadiums and domes and big outdoor festivals that mm-hmm. were like in the thirty, forty, fifty thousand range. But that was always like opening for somebody or being part of a multi-artist lineup. Um, yeah. But in our own draw. Um, yeah, it was probably tops 2000 people. Um, but yeah, we got to open for like some great, great artists, Buster Rhymes and, um, man, David Foster. And I don't know, like, yeah, tons of, tons of artists back yeah. in the day. Did you get to, uh, meet anybody who was like a big influence of yours? Any, um, yeah. Who, who do you think was one of the bigger stars that you met that influenced you? Um, well, after the Earthones broke up, like my new band is actually, we've opened for Boys to Men a couple of times. Um, so that's been really cool. One, just a couple of years ago was the last time we, we did that. Nice. Um, What's the new band? What are they called? Uh, it's a funk soul band called Souls in Rhythm. And, Great. Uh, we've, we've toured most of the country and, um, I haven't had a radio hit yet, but we've put out a lot of music and and uh, still writing and recording and still doing shows and well not right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah no exactly we're all in downtime right now but it's yeah. a good time to be creative that's for sure absolutely it's totally. a good time yeah. to uh i i understand being introverted because i've been home for seven days and i'm totally fine with it <laughs> yeah oh nice yeah i love it like yeah it's time to think time to plan time to write time to play practice and yeah it's it's awesome.
Did you guys do any much music stuff or did you get, you get yeah. a lot of television press? Yeah, we did a lot of much music when we were in Canada. And I wish we, again, I wish we, we spent more time in Canada because much music was really good to us. And anytime we went to Toronto, they would have us on. Um, we, we built up, we, we kind of built our relationship with them in one, one swoop. Um, the first time we went to Toronto, I had, I had a number of goals that were ridiculous. And one of them was like, get on much music. And this was before, this was before we had a record deal. And the other guys just thought it was crazy. Like, and, but I had it in my head that we could do it, especially being a vocal group. I was like, yeah, we could do this. Like, mm -hmm. so we, I made us park outside of like stand outside of much music. And we probably waited like an hour and a half for somebody to come out that we recognized. And then the rest of the guys were just starting to get frustrated and tired. And they started walking and left me. Uh, and they were about half a block away. And Monica Diol came out. Ah. And Monica, like, do you have 30 seconds? Uh, <laughs> and she's like, well, I'm on lunch. Like, yeah, make it quick. And I'm like, just like, I'm like, can you wait here just like one second? I sprinted up the street. And I was like, got the guys. And I was like, Monica Diol. And they, we all came running back. To the front door and so we sang um we sang acapella for her and she loved it and said come back in an hour and we did and she brought us in right away and put us on the air right away with master t and um then yeah then we met erica am that day we met uh, george lagagenis um, and nice. then they told them back the next day, they put us on city TV, like the breakfast show in the morning. And they, um, and then after that, we went back over and we went on air with Erica M and yeah. So it was like in a weekend, uh, um, just like, boom, just like we had a really strong relationship with, uh, much. And then anytime we went to Toronto, they always, we're happy to have us come in, come in and and uh, yeah perform on on air and yeah so that was wicked that's they worth, were so good that's worth interrupting her lunch break I mean that uh, that support you got from them that's crazy I love that yeah 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 they were so good to us now you guys were in your early twenties around that time I'm guessing then hey very early twenties yeah uh, yeah it was like. Well, when we first started taking off, I was 24 and mm -hmm. I was the oldest. So, yeah, everybody, I think Chris was the youngest at 17. Were you guys bad? Did you uh, have any scandalous, <laughs> scandalous stories you can tell? You know what? We were like, we were so squeaky clean. I, <laughs> I look back on that now and I'm just like, especially touring universities and colleges in the U.S., mm -hmm. like how incredibly squeaky clean we were mm -hmm. um i mean i think we kept each other like grounded um i think it's different if you're like a solo artist and i don't know we i mean we met lots of girls and and it was like the like i say we hit the medium time and it never really spilt over to 
insanity. But I did have to change my number. We all had to change our numbers. And we all, we all had cases of where like, you know, stalkers or, <laughs> you know, people going a bit crazy, um, you know, like people showing up at our doors in Calgary or like on tour. Um, lots of times the girls would knock on our door, or take out a hotel room next to us or stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, I mean, we were, we were really, really well behaved. We kept ourselves in check. We never like, you know, egged each other on to like, you know, get notches in our bedpost and, and, uh, we were, we were well behaved and we had a lot of fun, loved meeting, meeting people and, and, but yeah, we never went, went too crazy with that. And plus we, being a vocal group, we had to like, you know, we had to keep our voices healthy. We had to, we had to Mm -hmm. sing every day and perform every day. It was, it was vocally demanding. So, you know, there was not a lot of opportunity to even really party all night, um, whether you were drinking or not. Like we, we just didn't drink on tour and, you know, we had to take great care of ourselves. So it was like, it's a combination of us just like keeping our egos in check and, and taking, taking good care of our voices. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like you guys took took it very seriously and that shows that you were really dedicated to what you were doing too, you know? I did. I mean, I look back on it now and I'm like, oh my God, if I knew knew then what I knew now or <laughs> would would kill to to be in situations again, but but I think it all worked out well. I mean, you know Yeah, then you don't have any regrets. <laughs> exactly. I, when you think about the stories about like guns and roses, when I think about a debaucherous band that's the band that comes to mind how they became successful during the during being totally wasted you know like not hardly i have never heard of anybody else i don't think who was able to do that maybe maybe in the la scene there with the rock bands it happened a lot but if you're really dedicated to your music and you're trying to make your career work the partying just doesn't happen until you've already hit the big time i think oh totally yeah, I mean, when when we went to, I mean, if you lived in LA, maybe that's a different story. But like, mm-hmm. if we we recorded um, about a third of our last record in in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and it was like, it was expensive to do that, you know. And it was like, it was high stakes, and we were working with big producers. And we, you you get into town, you get to work, you work all day, all night, and um, yeah, that was it. Hey friends, you know what I really love doing is podcasting. It's so much fun and I've been so lucky because I've talked to amazing people so far doing this show and I'm trying to bring you guys the very best content I can. Now in doing that, it does get kind of expensive and I'm on a little bit of a budget to do so, but there's a way you guys can help out and it's called Patreon. If you visit our Patreon page, you can subscribe to our podcast and get all kinds of ultimate perks just for subscribers. There's different tiered levels, so you can join for only $1 a month if you like. What's in it for you? Bonus content. We'll give you a shout-out on the show. We're going to be recording all kinds of super secret stuff just for our Patreon subscribers. 
And in doing that, in subscribing, you're going to help us pay the bills. Help me pay my phone bill when I'm calling people far away for an interview. Help us pay for our licensing fees so we can play you awesome music clips and so much more to help keep this boat afloat. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash dope nostalgia. Analog Brewing, winner of three awards at the 2020 Alberta Beer Awards, is a proud sponsor of the Dope Nostalgia Podcast. Analog Brewing is now offering delivery within the city of Edmonton with no delivery fee on orders over $40. Go to analogbrewing.ca slash shop. That's www.analogbrewing.ca forward slash shop and place your order today. When placing an order, you could also pay it forward and take part in their Nurse a Pint program and prepay for a pint for a nurse. Mention this podcast in the order comments so they know we sent you. Analog Brewing, taking beer to the next level. We got to record at Princess Studio in Minneapolis. Oh, and cool. Same part. Yeah, they just like, you know, and he, he lived really clean and we we just worked really hard. We, you know, it's a huge opportunity. So it's not something you're going to be like, you know. Did you get to meet him? Well, that's the thing with Prince. We He was there every day. We saw him every day. Oh. and But he never spoke to us. And oh. that was that was the rule going in. So it was his, um, it was Kirk Johnson who brought us there. Uh, Kirk was his drummer at the time and, uh, was his best friend right up, right up until the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I think Kirk still runs Paisley park, but, uh, yeah, Kirk brought us there and, and you know, he sat us down beforehand and was like, okay, there's no photos and there's no, like, you do not talk to Prince. You do not, if he talks to you, you talk back. But if you don't, if he doesn't, he's royalty. Talk, yeah, this is his house, <laughs> this is his, his space. You just you don't talk to him. So yeah, I passed him in the hallway every day, and and uh, he'd look you right in the eye as he passed you, and he'd be like, you just couldn't even believe. <laughs> well, we we uh, he was recording in Studio B at the time. We were recording in Studio C 
And then the big studio A was was empty all the time. And I wonder why. Well, he he liked he liked Studio B because it was more compact. And Studio A is like they had the huge monster console for mixing. Um, but um, and he would rent that out a lot. Um, but he he liked the the tighter space of Studio B, which was still a pretty big studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would I would sometimes go into like as we were tracking stuff in Studio C. Sometimes I'd go into the big big room in Studio A and practice vocals in the huge big room and I was always it was it was always like intimidating singing there just thinking that maybe he could walk in at any time um, as you're practicing something you know Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah and then we went to the first time we walked into Studio B Kirk brought us in there when when Prince was not there and Prince had all his guitars lined up um, and when we were leaving Studio B uh, he said, okay, let's come with me now. And he's like, don't touch any of the guitars. So, but I was at the end of the line and I just like, I p- touched every single one of Prince's guitars <laughs> as I was walking out of the room, just like put my hand right on each one. I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not missing this. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm so glad you told me this story. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah. And then, he came to Calgary and we went to, we went to an after party when he played here in Calgary at the dome. And, uh, they gave us like row five seats and, and then we went to this after party and there was like 15 of us at this after party, Prince and, and his band and just a few other people. And again, he never talked to us. Just, yeah. Hung out with people he knew and, but it was it was cool. I think he's shy too. I think he was yeah. shy. Yeah, talk about an introvert. Like yeah. I think you know he had. You know, there when we were at Paisley, there were people that would come to visit him, but he would always like his conversations would always be kind of like one on one. Um. You know, and he 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 would host parties at. Uh, um, Occasionally at Paisley Park, but yeah, he he really kept himself in, in, a, in a really small, tight circle of people that he trusted.
when you guys were taking off, it was around the time that the internet was starting to take off as well. Um, how do you think the start of the internet changed things for the band? Did it affect you in any way? Um, were you able to utilize it at all for promoting yourself back then, or was it maybe too soon? It's too soon. Yeah, we got nothing under the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were. That's why it's it's tough to find like a lot of stuff on us too. It was we were really pre-internet. It was it opened up just after after we had uh, uh, disbanded in '98. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. Yeah, because YouTube didn't even come out till the 2000s, I believe. I don't know what year, but YouTube would have been the thing that I think a lot of artists used to promote, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was and none that, of that. What kind of social media do you like to use the most right now? Mm, I'm probably the most active on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I look at Facebook, but I don't don't use it a ton. Um, yeah, I'm hearing yeah. more more and more people are kind of gravitating away from it. Yeah, yeah, mostly Instagram, and I don't I don't use Twitter at all. Yeah. Um, and haven't gotten to TikTok yet, but that's probably coming soon. Probably jump on that. And, so, uh, yeah. What's um? What project are you doing right now? Then, what's what's in your calendar at the moment? Well, annually I work on the on the big Stampede Grandstand show, mm-hmm. uh, and we're like everybody we're we're on, on lockdown, so we're yeah. we've suspended working on that for now. We'll see what happens there um, as we get closer to summer. That's going to be a real challenge. But um, yeah, like I said, I just finished uh, doing Queens We Will Rock You, uh, a North American tour, and, mm. and uh, so uh, and then I'm I'm recording a new record with Souls and Rhythm right now. Awesome. Uh, so we've been. Uh, We've been still rehearsing, but keeping our distance from each other at rehearsals and uh, yeah. not sharing any of our equipment or gear. And uh, we're going into the studio in, in April here. Um, going into a pretty nice studio called OCL Studios, which is a big, big space. So we'll be able to keep our distance and and uh, record there. Um, wow. Yeah. And then... Uh, I run a performing arts school in Calgary called The Show, uh, which is like for uh, dancers and singers uh, and doing that for four years. And of course, we're on a hiatus right now as well. But we're we're doing some, this gives me some opportunity to plan out next year and what we're going to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, our, our year-end show next April is going to be a tribute to Prince. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you're taking the time to be super productive. I mean, it's good. Everybody gets to slow down a bit and focus on what's important. And um, I, of course, I have a few more questions for you. Um, if you could pick an Earth Tones track that's meant the most to you, um, what would it be? And Because I want to play it on the podcast. I want to share it with everybody. Sure. Um, Album track, single, doesn't matter. Well, probably... Probably rich and famous, um, yeah. from blindfold and ready. Um, that that record we recorded, like I say, we did a third of it in L.A. 
and we did a third of it in in uh, at Prince's studio, and we did a third of it in Calgary. And Rich and Famous is one of the songs we wrote um, and recorded in Calgary. And it's a song that I still perform, um, and I've taught it a lot uh, to students, and I've performed it a lot. I've performed it opening for Boys to Men, and it's a uh, it's just a song that's that's had good longevity. It uh, it's kind of timeless, I think. Um, so that song uh, meant a lot to me back then, and, and still does now.
if um, you could have picked a decade to be a successful musician in, which decade would you have chosen? Hmm. Well, I probably would have picked um, early 2000s. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. People were still buying records. Um, music had... Like when we existed, it was it was pretty much uh, the grunge era, yeah. Which was, of course, extremely different than who we were. We loved that kind of music. We loved all all kind of music, but but with us being an R and B vocal group, um, in the U.S., it was really the the scene was really fractured. It was mostly it was either grunge radio or um, or pop R and B radio, and. Uh, so we didn't really, a lot of the R&B stations felt we were too pop. A lot of the pop stations felt we were too R&B. And of course, we weren't anything near grunge. So radio was tough for us in the U.S. In Canada, there's less of a uh, pure R&B scene up here. So we we did we did get played lots on pop radio and we were able to get, get all those hits. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, uh, yeah, rec- the, the fact that people still bought records in the early two thousands um, was would would have been a cool cool time to have some some success. Excuse me. Who have you been listening to now lately in your own free time? Oh, I don't know. Like a lot of people, I kind of tend to go down the rabbit hole uh, on Spotify. And- <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I listen to a lot of friends, uh, uh, their music and, uh, um, if I choose to put on music at home, it's usually something pretty classic like James Brown or Aretha Franklin or something like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, usually. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to ask you a few silly questions to wrap things up here. Um, sure. Basically, I'm going to get you to pick what your favorite would be from the two choices, um, starting with Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. Oh, Backstreet Boys for sure. Yeah? Yeah. Whitney Houston or Mariah Carey? Oh, I I ask that question to a lot of people all the time, and everybody always picks Whitney. I was like Team Mariah. Yeah? Uh, I mean, Me too. I'm Team Mariah. <laughs> Both were like incredible singers. I loved Mariah's voice uh, in her prime, and she wrote, still does. She writes incredible songs. People don't really think about the fact that Mariah is a writer. Yeah, and and I really respect her for that. Oh, she's. <laughs> I mean, she's. I think she still holds the record as being the, the top-selling female writer of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she's she or or having the most number one hits, uh, but yeah, she's she's one of the greatest writers, forget female or male, of all time. Brian Adams or Bruce Springsteen? Oh, that's a tricky one. They're very <laughs> apples and oranges, but I would say Brian Adams. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Blink One Eighty Two or Green Day? Oh, Green Day. Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Nirvana. Brittany or Christina? Christina. <laughs> Sweet. And the last question, New York or L.A.? 
New York or LA. Oh, New York for sure. Yeah. yeah. It was just there. Yeah. It's a beautiful yeah. place. It is. Yeah. Love it. Well, I want to yeah. thank you for spending some quarantine quarantine time <laughs> with me today. <laughs> it was awesome. And um, yeah, so I want everyone to check out uh, your current projects. So um, is there anything you want to say to wrap things up to all the people listening? Well, if there's anybody that happens to be listening that was a fan of ours um, back in the 90s, thank you for giving us an incredible adventure. You know, we got to... We got to see all of Canada. We got to see all of the U.S. Um, you know, a lot of times we go to a place that we'd never been before and people, you perform and people in the audience are singing your songs. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you what a, what a satisfying um, uh, and rewarding experience that is. What, what, what a sense of community that gives you and, and to, to know that you've inspired people or lifted people and, uh, and, and they, they literally invest in your, your life and your experience through buying tickets to your shows and buying records and, and requesting your songs on the radio. So, you know, it was a pretty, pretty magical time, uh, for us, you know, and, uh, so if anybody, anybody out there is listening and was a fan of ours back in the day, um, I can't, can't thank you enough. See that you're no baby of mine It could take a man a thousand years To really understand what he feels Kiss him goodbye, I need you by my side I'm begging you please, don't just let this love so light Many thanks once again to Scott Henderson for spending time chatting with me and what a great interview. Thank you, Scott, so much. I want to dedicate this episode to the gentleman who produced one of the Earth Tones albums at Homestead Recorders in Edmonton, Mr. Barry Allen, who passed away very recently. This show is in your memory, Barry, and thank you for all the great production work you did for so many artists. Before I say goodbye, I'm just going to let you guys know there were three total albums that were put out by the Earth Tones. The one in 1992, the very first one was called Those Darn Hoodlums, 1994's To Be Continued, and 1996's Blindfolded and Ready. If any of you can find those albums, because I used to have, well, I know I definitely had To Be Continued, but I can't find it anymore. So if anyone has any of the Earth Tones albums, please email the podcast, okay? Let us know where we can find them because I'd love to get my hands on those again. 
I've got some more great interviews coming up in the coming weeks. Um, we're going to be speaking with somebody from the band Jackal, one of the guitar players. I'm going to be speaking with Tal Bachman. And there's so many more to come. So we're going to be doing regular releases now on late Thursday, early Friday, somewhere in there. So maybe early Thursday. You know, I don't have much going on right now on my plate. As I know, some of you are pretty bored too. So Thursday is the day for Dope Nostalgia Drops. You guys take care and be safe out there. Hit up our Instagram, dope underscore nostalgia. You like Twitter better? That's cool. Nostalgia dope. Or shoot us an email, dope nostalgia podcast at gmail.com. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work. Hey, this is Quinn. And Charlie. And Naomi. We got a podcast together. What's it called? It's called L2L. L2L. Learning to listen, because that's what we're trying to do. We're learning, we're listening. What do we uh, talk about? We talk about love, sex, all kinds of stuff. Poop. Pop culture. Bidets. Muppets. Chicken. We like to talk about really weird stuff sometimes. Hey, you can join in the conversation as well. Uh, You can find us where? On Spotify. iTunes. Stitcher. You can find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Every Tuesday, you can join us and uh, learn to listen. That's L2L every Tuesday morning. Yeah.